Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy, and we are uh, sans Derek today. Derek is actually out of town, hanging out with one of his buddies, so it's going to be me. But that's okay, because this is episode two of the Deep Dive series where we're talking about getting hired. And today we're going to focus mostly on design-related stuff. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about portfolios and resumes for designers. We might touch a little bit on developers and product managers and things like that, but we're going to focus on you know what what do uh, what do designers and people coming out of school out of boot camps what do they need to do to make sure their portfolio is top notch and ensure they're getting their job so today we have got a very special guest Christine Yoon from LinkedIn I'm super excited to have her on Christine's a design manager at LinkedIn leading a team of designers to create the best customer experience for the Pages product. She's been at LinkedIn for about four and a half years. Prior to her current position, she was a consultant at Deloitte, working with a bunch of different Fortune 500 companies, building digital products. She's got her master's degree in interaction design from the California College of Arts. And uh, before that, she obtained a bachelor's uh, from the University of Notre Dame. She takes a, a multidisciplinary approach that encompasses the fields of design, business, technology, And outside of her daily work, Christine enjoys mentoring, coaching, aspiring UX designers and students through platforms like ADP, which is how we met. Uh, And she's an avid presenter, mentor, and she enjoys speaking about design-related topics and design career paths, which is perfect for today. Christine, welcome to Retro Time. It is so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me here today, Jeremy. I definitely look forward to having this conversation. Awesome. Right on. So... Today we're going to be talking about uh, portfolios, resumes, and we're focusing a lot on those people coming out of boot camps, people mid-career potentially, people that may have never had a portfolio or had to make a design resume before. And I'm curious, um, as far as resumes, portfolios, things like that go, uh, from your perspective as a design manager, as a hiring manager, what makes a great first impression? Yeah, that's a really great question, Jeremy. Um, When it comes to making a first impression for designers, I think a lot of it falls onto your portfolio is usually like the first thing that I think about, but it's actually like a whole package. So Mm -hmm. usually when it comes to the recruiting process, like, you know, the portfolio is a big piece of who you are and what your work is, but the recruiters and hiring managers are also looking at your LinkedIn profile at the same time Mm -hmm. to just check, you know, on your experience. But also probably peeking into your resume a little bit here and there too. So it's kind of like, you know, your portfolio might make the first impression because it's the most visual, but they're actually looking across everything to just kind of understand what your experience is. Are you truly who you say you are? And just kind Mm -hmm. of engage in terms of how they think you might be. Do you really know what you're talking about? That's the kind of stuff. Um, So yeah, so that's great. Um, So I was, the next question I was going to ask was what's more important portfolio or resume. And it sounds like both. Both of them are equally important. Yeah, I would say your portfolio is probably a little bit more important, especially if you are more of a junior designer, Um, in particular, because for junior designers with your resume, like a lot of them aren't going to have experience or have similar experiences coming from school or doing internships. So there's not a ton of stuff that's going to differentiate you from your resume beyond, you know, maybe some extracurriculars and additional projects that you're doing that you can stand out. At the end of the day, you're still kind of seen as a junior candidate without a lot of experience in the mm-hmm. field. So the portfolio comes into a lot more handy at that point to really demonstrate what your chops are as a designer, both visually and with storytelling and your process. Okay. 
Now I'd say that would slightly change a little bit more as you get more um, experience in your field. So for example, I've been working in the design field for a while now. And when it comes to like job opportunities, when people reach out to me, it's actually purely based off my experience. Mm-hmm. I haven't updated my portfolio in <laughs> over four years, to be honest. All right, yeah. But yeah, but I get recruiters who reach out to me all the time and it's based on my experience in terms of what I've been doing at LinkedIn, what I've been showcasing on my LinkedIn profile. And that's kind of what attracts their attention at that point in terms of who they're trying to find the best fit for those roles. So it kind of depends on what yeah. stage of your career you're at, really. Right. So, you know, one of the things I actually wanted to ask you about, and I was curious, this is something Jared Spool has tweeted out and um, a lot of people, I think, maybe have taken out of context. And it's funny because I've actually read a lot of people who are just like, you know, oh, this is crazy. And then when they hear Jared Spool, who was the one who said it, they're like, oh, wait, you know. <laughs> but he says, uh, if you're trying to hire designers and require a portfolio, you're not going to get top talent. The best designers don't have them. They're too busy. And I, I'm curious what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I think that's probably true when it comes to more of the experience mm, hires. So something like you were just talking about, right? Yeah. So like someone like myself and, and, you know, kind of think about it, right. For those of us who have a full-time job, we also might be doing side hustles like myself mm-hmm. doing a lot of mentoring the portfolio and like updating my resume is like one of the last things that yeah. I ever will think about <laughs> when it comes to progressing in my career. And at that point, you know, I hope that my experience shines for itself. And I use tools like LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, some people use Twitter to kind of like demonstrate your work throughout. And you should be doing that actually with your career. I think that's probably a smart move, even if you're not in looking to make a jump to another company anytime soon, but you want to build up your social presence, even as an experienced designer. So people know that you're out there and know what you've done. And that really speaks for itself a lot in in the way with the lack of having a portfolio. Like I've had some conversations with recruiters and stuff like that. And they don't ask me for a portfolio anymore. It's just more about like, what have I done? What's the impact that I've proven? And then going into the interview, you might have to like come up with like a presentation of sorts, but it's not a portfolio. Right. Talk through one, maybe a case study or something. Exactly. I, I love that you're saying that because at last episode, uh, we talked exclusively about networking and how important it is. And one of the things that we that came out of that conversation was that your job hunt starts long before your job hunt starts. Right. Uh, long before you are, are actually actively searching for a job, what you're putting out there is helping you find the next job or not. Right. It might be yeah. hurting your, your, your chances to get a next job. So if you're on, on on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, talking about your work and, and you're treating it kind of like in a, a professional manner and all this stuff that, that kind of helps the next step, which is when you're trying to show your, your experience, this is social media is essentially almost like a historic record of like the things you've done. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. So I'm curious though, you know, we're talking a lot about these people coming mid career shifts, boot camps, maybe people out of school. They don't have that work necessarily. How do they create a portfolio that's engaging that shows off the things they may have learned without having any actual work experience? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And kind of just actually going back to the previous question a little bit too. um, I do want to add on the fact that like, even though like if you might be a working professional and you don't have time for the portfolio, it's still kind of actually like with a lot of companies, a technicality, you do have Mm -hmm. to submit something. So yeah. yeah, So if you are looking for a new job or depending on kind of the shift that you're making, even as a UX designer, like Mm -hmm. say if you're kind of coming from a really small startup that a lot of people have never heard of, Um, and you're trying to move into like big tech, you probably actually have to demonstrate a little bit more of your work experience to prove 
yourself. So a portfolio might actually become a lot more handy for those types of individuals. Again, it's just very much case-to-case basis, depending on what your experience is, how visible you are, and what kind of roles you want specifically to, so that right. that uh, the portfolio can play into that quite strategically, depending on what you're looking for. But then going back to your other question now, so the one that you asked <laughs> Uh, so for junior designers and people who are doing career shifts, I think that come, that's important for your portfolio is that uh, there's a couple of different things that I that I um, usually structure it in terms of what's what's important for a hiring manager or a recruiter. So the first thing that you have to capture somebody's attention with is the visuals. Like, I hate to say it, and I know it sounds very superficial, and not everybody wants to be a visual designer or comes from a graphic designer background. But when you look at something, you want to be impressed immediately from mm-hmm. like a visual standpoint, right? You like, even if you're a recruiter who doesn't work with designers a lot, like somebody can tell if it's good design or bad design. Right. So you want to make that really first good impression with the visuals. And if you don't, unfortunately, that's a lot of people are going to click out of your stuff and you're not going to, you're not even going to have a shot. So, um, I'd say that's like the most important thing when it comes to making the first impression, but it does not sell you on your portfolio. The mm-hmm. second layer then after the visuals is what I care about is then like the overall structure. So I'm looking at the usability of the portfolio too. So how easy is it for me to get into those case studies? Um, are there like dead links that I'm like clicking on things and it's like, you know, broken or taking me to some weird thing that I didn't expect? Um, and then like clicking into the case studies then specifically, I'm also looking for an experience. When I go into the case study, I'm actually skimming first. So I usually go top down, I'll scroll through really quickly. And at that point I'm looking for, now the third layer that I'm looking for is more of the storytelling process. So as I'm scrolling really quickly, I'm trying to see if this person has done research, right? Thought about um, systems thinking, uh, how they do the ideation, and then kind of ultimately pull together their their designs and uh, their final output. So as I'm skimming through those, I'm looking if there's anything that's missing. If there's anything that's missing, like for example, research, that's a red flag to me that this person might not be a product designer or user experience designer. So I might move on to the next candidate um, at that point for the role that I'm looking for. Um, the other thing that I'm looking for too, as I'm as I'm scrolling, is whether or not the content uh, makes sense. So if it's too dense, and um, that can actually kind of turn somebody away in the sense that it's like, okay, it kind of falls back on that visual thing, right? Where it's like, it's not really helping me understand how your storytelling is going. The other thing that I see as a big mistake with a lot of portfolios is that um, sometimes with junior candidates, they spend so much time on their process, but then when you kind of get to the end and you're looking for this wonderful uh, like UI, I miss it. I'm like, wait, where did it go? Or it's like not enough. It's just a handful of screens. And I'm like, you've built up all this storytelling. And then it's like, you get to the end and it's a flop. That's not Mm -hmm. a really great experience either for somebody who's looking at it. So it has to balance out that process, but also display your visuals in a way that shows me that you actually understand the entire process. Right. Now, from the people coming from boot camps, Mm -hmm. college or something like that, where do these case study information, where, where would you say pull this information from? Is, are these going to be generally, like I've seen, you know, General Assembly, Love Circular, things like that. They generally help you create a couple of case studies or give you projects. And I assume from there, that's where you would get the data for the case studies from. Is that what you think? Yeah. Or? 
Yeah, okay. usually it's a good start for people who are coming from school or boot camps to use what you've done in school. Mm-hmm. But um, nowadays, that might not cut it enough. Like, in the sense that if you think about it, like, say you're graduating from General Assembly, there's probably 20 other students that are in your cohort. And you guys probably have the same assignments, the same professors, <laughs> same group right. projects. So right. you're going for the same set of jobs. So when you're kind of applying and if all portfolios look the same, it's really hard for a manager mm-hmm. or a recruiter to differentiate. And that's a common problem that I see with people coming from the same cohort. So what I recommend to those students is like, it's great. Like you should definitely put your strongest project from school that you're really proud of, but you should also think about supplementing some things too. So if there's an individual project that you did that you're very passionate about, that could be really great. But even better is if you can find some opportunities outside of school where maybe you participated in a hackathon and worked with some engineers or volunteered with a nonprofit pro bono and did some design work there. Those are Mm. the kinds of projects that really stand out actually to recruiters and hiring managers, because it also demonstrates you have experience working with people besides designers. Yeah. Is is it obvious though, uh, as a, as a hiring manager, when people have these bootcamp case studies, you kind of call, you kind of like, oh, this is obviously from a bootcamp. Yeah. There's certain case studies that are very common. Like for example, redesigning a transit system kiosk, Mm -hmm. like in San Francisco, redesigning the BART one, for example, I see that pop up a lot. Um, or like, you know, designing an interface for a 10,000 floor elevator. Like there's some common ones that a lot of people get. Um, and then also when you start seeing like people from the same program and you open multiple portfolios, you can tell if they're, they're <laughs> right, right. you That's know, the same, the same group project. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Now what, from there, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that people aren't just copying and pasting each other's work, but there's, there's probably some distinction between how they're written and you can probably see the data is the same, but the way they've, the way they've uh, talked about it, the way they've told the story is a little different and it might be something that you could compare there. But I think it's like really interesting though, people coming from the same cohort, applying to the same jobs, <laughs> they all have the same case study essentially. Um, so I'm curious, you mentioned this about visuals. One of the things that I, I hear people complain a lot about is, you know, I'm a UX researcher. I don't do any visual design. When, when you're, you're saying like, uh, you know, the visuals, we're humans, right? We gravitate towards pretty things, uh, obviously. Um, what do you recommend for people who are not visual designers to to get that quote unquote beautiful portfolio or or, or website templates, maybe, or um, you know something like that? Yeah. So so for particular people, like the user experience researcher that you brought up, um, mm-hmm. for them, the visuals actually isn't going to be as important. I actually Mm -hmm. know some researchers who have gotten jobs without a portfolio even. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just might be like case studies that they have written in a blog format, or it's more of just their resume at that point to demonstrate Mm -hmm. that experience. So, um, so for like in situations like that, where it's a lot of content deliberately, because you're kind of like explaining your process heavily, it's the same goes for like, you know, if you're like a content designer, so like a UX writer, you don't need it to be like super polished, like a designer, but you can use your text in a way to like mm-hmm. create hierarchy and blocking, right? And legibility from a reading standpoint. There's a difference when you have like a paragraph that's just like, you know, eight sentences long and it's just a block of text versus using boldings, italics, 
right bullet points kind of spacing things out so it's like designed in a way that's legible and easy for somebody to read so i'd say like that's kind of the advice i would have for those types of folks but yeah go ahead mm -hmm. You're gonna yeah, i was gonna say you know for, i'm just thinking of the ux researchers i've worked with the best ones are the ones who are able to tell the story about the data they found it's not just presenting me with yeah. just you know, paragraphs of white, of black and white text. It's what are the insights that they get, and can they can Absolutely. they pull those out, and can they highlight those? And again, in your way, can you can you use text, even black and white text, in Word or something to to tell that story, uh, even even though it, it, you're not designing it, quote unquote. Um, so I, that's yeah. a, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, when it comes to like if, if visual design isn't your forte, um, there are like a lot of templates that you can start with, like mm -hmm. on Squarespace, Wix. There's a lot of these portfolio building sites that you can do. Um, the challenge with kind of using those is does it match the assets that you're trying to present with it, too? Because mm -hmm. it's a whole package, right? You can't just think about it on the page. You also have the UI that you've designed, maybe certain fonts that you have and stuff like that. And if they're really clashing against each other, then that also creates dissonance too for mm -hmm. the people who are looking at something from a visual standpoint. So, um, you know, I, I could say, I say like that could be a good start, but just again, with caveats, it's just, just like really, if you're not visual, I think the best thing to do is like ask somebody who might be, whether it's, it's a friend, you, right? family member. <laughs> you probably have a friend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And just like kind of get their opinion in terms of like, you know, colors, what matches or like, how do I make these spacing and styles look better? Um, for a UX designer specifically, a visual design isn't your forte and you're really trying to build up those chops. Um, there's definitely a lot of great like books out there in terms of theory. Um, I could send those to you later, Jeremy, if you find them. Yeah, I'd love to include them in the show notes. Share. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So these are ones that I, I used in grad school that I found very, very helpful. But also one thing that really helped me kind of develop my visual chops was um, actually take screenshots or like photos of like really pretty designs out there. And at some point, um, especially if it was an app, like say Spotify, I would take a couple of different screenshots and I would print them out and I would like get like a ruler and a pencil and I would like try to draw lines where I thought their grids were. And then I would also count the styles in terms of like the number of colors that I mm -hmm. saw, how many different sizes fonts, like I just try to reverse engineer kind of their visual style, right? Um, and try to understand how they create that. Now also with like Google material design and Apple's design interface guidelines too, you can also look at those online easily and see how they think about breaking down components and patterns. And that can also help you start developing an understanding of like basic elements of the UI. I love that. Yeah. And that's a cool thing. The, the material design specs show do's and don'ts, which lets you understand like, oh, wait, this is bad. I shouldn't do this. And it explains why. Uh, and I really like that idea. That's a really brilliant uh, insight for people who are not trained visual designers. There are resources out there for you to, to at least get some basic chops <laughs> so that your stuff looks yeah. good. So, Mike, uh, the next question I have, and, you know, this is a software podcast. We got a lot of people who listen who are not specifically designers, even though we are talking about, you know, portfolios and stuff today. Um, I'm curious, from your perspective as a hiring manager, do you uh, – is it expected for people like front-end engineers – product managers, QA people, things like that, to have some type of portfolio website presence. Maybe it's just a nice to have. Yeah, I would say it's a nice to have. 
to be honest. Um, for I have friends who are product managers and then people who are engineers. And um, a lot of the time, it's more based on your experience at that point. So, mm-hmm. you know, your resume and your LinkedIn profile is probably going to be more important. If you have a website that can be really helpful, but it's not an expectation from mm-hmm. recruiters. Okay. Um, but it kind of goes back down to the the original thing we were talking about about building your presence online in general. You could do that even if you're not a designer. So, like you know, there's I have I know some engineers who uh, write blog posts on Medium or you know kind of share work through other means too and that's a way of developing that experience beyond your, um, you know, resume and LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Now I'm curious, I have one question about uh, portfolio websites in general, and that is personality. Like how much personal stuff should or should not be included in your professional portfolio? You know, pictures of your kids or hiking trips or hobbies that you like to do. What do you recommend? Is there a balance there? Is it too much? Is it, does it matter? What are your thoughts? Yeah. You know, the thing that people don't talk enough about with portfolios is the about page. Mm-hmm. And it's actually one of my favorite parts of a portfolio. Okay, good. I was hoping you'd say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it is because it actually, you know, like, again, when it comes down to the work at a, at a certain point, you, you can only see so many redesigns mm-hmm. of like a social media app or like, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's, um, so seeing that about page really helps bring out that personality. And a lot of the time when people work on their portfolios, they actually neglect to think about that in detail. Mm-hmm. And most of the ones that I see are just like a picture and then again, blocks of text in a paragraph format about yeah. their work experience. What I tell people to do with, with the about section is um, this is an opportunity for you to showcase like different strengths that you have. Don't just rehash what you have on your resume or your LinkedIn profile. I can find that there, yeah. right? You could bring in snippets. But more or less, I want to know more about like, what are your philosophies? Like what, what drives you as a designer in terms of the field? Or like, you know, if you have a special story about how you broke into the field, that's really um, interesting. If you're a career shifter, like you list some of those things. If you have hobbies that are like related to design, that makes you a stronger designer, like highlight those, you know, don't shy away from these things. I think it really can bring a lot of value to the table and help break the ice too, when it comes to recruiting conversations. Yeah. But also be mindful to not put in anything that, um, you know, could p- be potentially discriminated against Off-putting, you yeah. in certain ways. Right. So when I say that, it's like, it's okay to get personal, but don't get too personal if it's kind of pushing the boundaries of where you're comfortable with. Yeah. So so this is something I've, I've been telling a lot of mentors or mentees rather, as I've been doing mentor sessions, and I'm, I'm hoping I've been saying the right thing. I'd love to get your thoughts here. Um, one of the things I'm telling people is, you know, um, talk about those kind of creative endeavors that have nothing to do with design, you know, UX design rather. So like photography, for instance, when you frame a shot, there's a lot of similar kind of things that go into that framing up, you know, the, the, uh, the subject and everything else is very similar to how you might frame up, uh, you know, a, a, an interface to get people to kind of flow, follow the flow or something like that. Like I, I had one um, mentee a while ago who taught, who did a lot of chalk art and she worked at Whole Foods and she was talking like, that was like a past experience that she had. And to me, it's like, that's marketing. That's like selling people. That's getting people to walk down a certain aisle, which is very Absolutely. similar to something that you would be doing in the UX field. You're just maybe doing it digitally. Um, 
so those are like really interesting things I tell people, like, especially if it's like kind of creative or a hobby, like, like maybe clothing design or something like that. Um, talk about that. Like it might not be relative to that job that you're applying for, but it still shows me that you've got some interesting things that you might bring to the table that, you know, when, when we say diversity, a lot of it too is diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of, you know, where you're coming from and, and what, what different things are you going to bring to the table my current team might not be thinking about today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for myself too, you know, I, I don't consider myself like the most creative person, to be honest, like, like I have an yeah. appreciation for art, but I'm not an artist. Like oh, I, yeah. I wasn't classically trained. I studied business. Right. But so, but my two hobbies that I really love are like food and travel. And, you know, I found a way to weave that into my design story too, because with those two things, like with travel, you get exposed to a lot of different cultures. You're kind of building relationships with yeah. people. You're developing empathy yeah, around right, right. like things that you don't know. And then with cooking, it's also a creative process, right? In terms yeah. of figuring out what goes together, like how mm-hmm. do you, you know, time things and do the execution, which is actually very relevant to design. Yeah, so, that. yeah. So I encourage people like, you know, find what those hobbies are, so- showcase them um, in a way, not just in your portfolio, also when you kind of get to the interviews. And yeah, uh, again, yeah. like as you're talking to people and networking, those are really great things to find commonalities on. Um, yeah. And that's going to really help sell yourself as a, as an yeah. individual. See, you know, the other thing that I, um, I think about with mid-career shifts is there's always, there's an interesting story there. Right. Especially people who were doing something else for a really long time and one day just decided to go and say, to hell with it. I'm doing something different. I want to get into design. (laughs) There's an interesting story there. You know, what happened? And tell me that story. I, this is, I I think back to this, uh, this guy we just hired at work about a month ago. He had this about me on his page that he, and he talked about how when he was a kid, he worked in a, he was, he's from Korea, actually. He was, he uh, was born in Korea. His family came here when he was younger and they all worked at this, this restaurant and he waited tables and he used that to like learn English. And not only that, this is like the most brilliant insight I think I've ever seen If we hired him, like because of this, to be honest, um, he said like he would treat uh, talking to customers like, as like user research, like how did you like the meal? What, what, how did you like this and that? And, and that kind of thing. And he, he even he even talked about how he applied that to like UX design. And I was like, that's a brilliant insight. You're going and you're talking to people and you're doing that research and you're asking them how their meal was. And you want to know what, like asking for some feedback and things like that. And, um, I just thought that was like wonderful insight. And and to be honest, I think a lot of the guys on the team, a lot of people on the team, we said, I want this person. I want him. Like, I love that. I love that he thought <laughs> nice. about that when he was like 16 years old. It's just like a brilliant insight for uh, such a wise insight for somebody so young. Um, you know, and, and again, that whole background coming from another country, completely different culture. And where I work, we're a lot of international customers, a lot of people from, and it's like, we want more people who aren't like us and, and don't think like us. And, and I love that. And we would have never known that had he not put it on his website. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the design field, there's a lot of us that are career shifters. Um, um so I feel like it's, it's one of the unique fields in my experience or just generally where uh, we really value a lot of that diversity and thought and backgrounds. Yeah, like, absolutely. so there's so many people on my team that did not study design. Mm-hmm. Like I got my master's in interaction design, but I didn't stick with that. So, you know, it's, right. there's a lot of opportunities from any field that you bring in, whether it's like a nurse or an electrician yeah. or a waiter, right? There's like certain mm-hmm. things that you can bring into your practice as a designer. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we've been talking about portfolios for quite a bit, but I want to ask you one more thing before we hop into talking about resumes. What similarities does every killer portfolio have from your perspective? Yeah. 
I think when it comes down to it, the best ones have the best storytelling. So like, and the reason why I say storytelling is because like, when you think about telling a story, it's actually combining all those things that I talked Mm -hmm. about, the visuals, how much text you choose, what's the context you pick, how do you lay it out in a way that's like, you know, represents the work that you're doing. Um, And is it compelling enough to like suck me in to like read through the whole thing, right? And I think that's the the best projects that I have, have like a really solid flow. Like from the beginning to end, Mm -hmm. I completely understood the problem, was along with them the whole time as they were making those design decisions and even the pivots that they're making. Um, And like really sold me on the solution where it's like, okay, yes, that did nail the problem that you're trying to solve. So I would say if there's anything in your career, like that storytelling part is going to be really helpful in your portfolio and will carry through even through the interviews as you're doing that. Um, So if you have that consistent way of thought, it's going to really help sell your experience. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great insight. Um, I, I can't remember where I heard this. May have been a conference I went to, or, or just something I saw online. But the, the the person that was speaking was talking about using traditional storytelling methods, like protagonist, the antagonist, like all of these things, and figuring that out as you present your case study. So all the like, all this all the data that you've come up, like where's your antagonist there? Where's your protagonist? Uh, and how do you get them to, like kind of have this sort of tension, and then a build up and a release at the end? Uh, to tell a really, really enthralling story to get someone to want to read a case study. Because a lot of times they're very, very long and they can be very long and they can be somewhat boring, a lot of data and stuff, depending on what the problem is. Um, you know, how do you make it engaging and how do you want, how do you get someone to want to finish it? Um, yeah, I think yeah, that's totally. Really, really great. Yeah. And the protagonist and villain too, when people think about traditional storytelling, they always think about like a movie or a comic book, mm-hmm. right? It's a person that might be like, creating the issue, but Mm -hmm. it's not. Sometimes in design, it's the process or the insight that you find. Or like, you know, sometimes like the business might have had this major issue and the project Mm -hmm. got scrapped, right? And those are things that are outside of your forces, but those can be like the villains or the protagonists of your story that help you. And I think all of it is just like finding what is that key hook to like mm-hmm. really help people understand and comprehend the the case study. So I love that. yeah, what's the hook? Treat it like you're like a, a record producer. Where's the hook? Um, <laughs> cool. I love yeah. that. So um, let's talk about resumes for a little bit. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things going on with uh, resumes now, bots and and all this stuff. And I don't even, to be honest, I'm not even really sure where to start with resumes. You know, traditionally, I've heard things from recruiters that say, you know, it should be in a a Word document. It shouldn't even be PDF because the bots can't read PDF. Where do you start when you're thinking about your resume? Where do you you even start? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good question, Jeremy. Um, So I would say, like, don't even jump into, like, formatting your resume and all that stuff yet. Usually with anything, even if it's your portfolio or LinkedIn profile. Personally, when I start thinking about my experience, I like to take a step back and jot down, like, what are the highlights? What are the things that are most important for me to represent, to tell my story? So when it comes to a resume, there's certain things that usually help people stand out, the experience, your education, your skills. Um, I'd say like, those are probably the biggest things. And then if there's additional things, like if you're a student, maybe awards, extracurriculars, projects could be Mm -hmm. beneficial if you don't have a lot of that experience. 
And I would say really kind of anchoring um, around those things first and then figuring out how much of it that you have. And that should inform your layout then. Mm -hmm. Um, A big problem I see is like people use a lot of these like templates and just kind of go cookie cutter and just start like filling out stuff. And then they have issues trying to like format it and like, well, you should think about what's the most important things that you want to highlight first and like kind of have the layout work for you based on, on that experience. Um, so I would say go from there. And then um, when it comes to resumes too, uh, I don't know how true it is anymore, but a big rule of thumb that I've heard from a lot of people is still to keep it to one page. I would say right. generally that is still probably a good thing to anchor yourself on. So that could be really tricky for people with a lot of experience. And that that comes back down to the storytelling. Like, what do you want to highlight? Which you have to be selective with certain experiences at that point. Like, what is really important to showcase? And then some things, like, if you're trying to break into design, I would say anything that's related to design um, in terms of, like, even if it's a nonprofit pro bono kind of thing, to include those um, versus just thinking about every paid experience that you might have. And then you can shave some of those things down. And those things you can put on your LinkedIn profile um, because yeah. your LinkedIn profile could be a lot longer supplemental than that. to your resume. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And your resume, I would even like for people, I spend, I see people spend so much time on the resume. For me, the resume is more of a formality. Like again, mm-hmm. from the hierarchy, that's the most important portfolio, your LinkedIn profile. And then I would say your resume is at the bottom of that. Because the the resume is really just a supplement, again, of everything else that you should already have on display. Um, and again, like as a hiring manager, I don't even really look at them, to be frank. Like, I, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, like our recruiters get a lot of them um, mm-hmm. and they need it for, you know, the, the applications. But as a hiring manager, I think if I have the portfolio and the it's way, profile, yeah. it's more than enough. So, yeah. So the resume, though, is a way to get past the recruiters to you. Pretty much, yeah, I would say. Okay. Yeah, there's some hiring managers who love looking at them. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't speak for all of us, but you know, that's just the way that I do my processes. So. All right. So I, I have a lot of I have a million questions about resumes, but first I want to knock out like the technical stuff. So sure. when we talk about formatting a resume, um, we, we, you know, we, there's the recently we've got the ATS. I think ATS, right? ATS the. Yep. I can't remember. Applicant tracking for, system. Yeah, the bots, basically. I just call them the bots. The evil bots. They're, these are our, sure. our uh, antagonists. Um, so so we've got the bots. The bots are um, kind of the gatekeepers a lot of times to even get to a recruiter. Um, I'm curious, formatting. Is there any tricks, tips on how to format to get even to the the first <laughs> the first step, which you're, I guess, the second step. You're the third step. First step, be boss. Yeah. Second step, recruiter. Then third step, you to get a portfolio <laughs> in front of somebody. Yes. Um, what uh, what are some tips? I mean, is there is there tricks to this? Is it is it just like playing a game? I mean, what what do you think? Yeah. So when it comes to formatting, there's a couple of things. Uh, one, don't use your resume to fill. Don't put a ton of images in there in your mm-hmm. resume, and like that take up the majority of your space. Your resume should be like pretty much all text, right? Mm -hmm. And again, going back to the styling that we talked about, you can make a resume of text look beautiful without adding like a ton of like images and icons because Mm -hmm. a lot of the ATS systems that I've heard about don't parse those images correctly. The other thing too, you again, you don't want to put like your picture out there or something that's just going to take up a lot of space or potentially discriminate you against Mm -hmm. like a job opportunity that you're looking for. Um, And then when it comes to like, the experience like parts um 
you should definitely put your experience up top because that's probably what people are going to be anchoring it on. If you're a student, you don't have a ton of it. Maybe you think about your experience as like projects that you've done, or like, again, those like uh, supplemental nonprofit types of things that you might've done in your extracurriculars that could be counted as experience too. Again, it doesn't have to be paid. Mm -hmm. So I would really start with that because that's what the bulk of people are going to be looking for. It's like, what types of things does this person bring to the table? Um, and then when it comes to other things in the resume too, like definitely make sure that you have like your basic contact information. Sometimes I come across resumes that don't even have an email or their portfolio link. So it's <laughs> like, okay, if you're submitting this and it's getting passed around, how do I know you're a designer even, right, without looking at your stuff? So yeah. those are some basic things to include. And then the third thing I'll kind of leave you on with the resume that's really important is the keywords and the way that you're writing it. Okay, I was gonna so ask if you're that. trying to beat the bots, <laughs> a lot of the time, these like systems, they have like certain things in their algorithm. I don't know what goes into all of them, but you know, it, you're not supposed to. Yeah, know. <laughs> it, exactly. But it's trying to match on filling an experience yeah. that they have mm. for the role. So if you want that job as a UX designer at say like, you know, a Google, go look at the job description and mm. literally see if there's certain keywords that are being repeated multiple times or the way that they're writing the language and taking like some of those chunks into your resume. I'm not saying copy and paste right. everything, but integrate it into your Apple, experience. Right. Yeah. Even if you were a waiter, right? You can talk about exactly like, how do you think about customers and research and building empathy and using that language that you're seeing in that job description and describing your work like that? That's going to really help you, I think, yeah. at the end of the day, because if you're trying to match keywords against like these bots, right, that's that's probably what's going to trigger the, the yeah. best results. Now, that begs the question, then, if you're doing that, you're you're essentially creating a new version of your resume for almost every job description or every job posting. If you're well, trying to I would actually find say, the keywords and yeah, so I'd actually say it, I wouldn't do it for every job posting. I would think about it as like a family of types of jobs. So if you're okay. going for a UX designer role, right? If you have like certain key organizations that you're going for, chances are there's going to be similarities in language over and over again. Okay. Um, when it comes to the process. So for example, like knowing some foundations around user research, how do you ideate and brainstorm? And like, again, do design systems thinking, um, you know, those types of keywords are going to keep showing up. So pick the ones that are the most common across all of them. There's going to be some jobs that are super niche. And unless you have that really niche experience, you can definitely put it in. But if okay. you're going for a more generalist thing, I think you should just look for the commonalities. Okay. So, so look at the, at the, uh, at the descriptions, find out what keywords, you know, maybe buzzwords, whatever they're using. For instance, if the, if the job description men mentions like something like ethnographic research and your, your resume says something else like just research, if you've done ethnographic research, make sure you put the word ethnographic in front of the word research. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The context still matters too. Like sure. the thing that's important about the resume is you shouldn't, wholly design it for just the ATS systems because mm -hmm. still somebody's going right, to look right, at right. it. So if I read it and it was just a ton of keywords and even though it beat the ATS, I'd be like, what the hell is this? Right. And it's like, does this person even know how to write like a sentence? So, you know, it has to be a balance, right. For both humans. So that when they're reading it, it's not just like chock full of buzzwords. It's still like comprehensible. 
and right, then right. and then well, you turn to like SEO version of your uh, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm the number one best UX designer in the city of whatever blah blah, blah you know just repeat it eighty times um, like, yeah uh, so that's yeah. awesome so any any uh, like formatting tips like font sizes fonts things like that obviously you know stick with maybe the basics I don't know what, what do you think. Yeah, I would just stick with the basics. Like I wouldn't do like a crazy uh, custom font just because it looks nice. Um, You know, pick, pick certain things. Like for example, Helvetica is a simple font, but it Mm -hmm. looks really beautiful. Um, Like there's a whole movie about it. For a reason, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, but it's, it's a classic. So if you, you know, you can go with a classic font like that and then Mm -hmm. just use like, again, boldings, um, sizes, spacing to like make it mm-hmm. look nice um so yeah that's that's probably like the the biggest um advice i would give to you on that cool now um one thing i do want to mention just you know again for these mid-career folks who are coming in from you know have a lot of experience they, they don't have any ux experience but they have past experience um doing a lot of these these mentee sessions what i'm finding again we talked about this this person who had who worked at whole foods doing the chalk art she was concerned that having you know a retail uh, experience on her resume didn't look good. You know, I'm curious your your uh, thoughts there. Um, how, you know, crafting maybe the descriptions and uh, I don't know. What, what do you think? How do you how do you handle that when you have that experience? You mentioned kind of you've done something that you think you could compare to design or take away that would apply to design. What are your what are yeah. you, what are your thoughts and and uh, recommendation there? Yeah, definitely. So if you're coming as a career shifter, one mistake that I do see career shifters do sometimes in both their resume, LinkedIn profile, and even sometimes in the interviews is that they actually lead with their past experience. Don't lead mm-hmm. with your background. Lead with what you want to do, which is a UX designer, oh, and talk that. about the skills that you have um, in those areas and like how you know passionate you are about that. And then your background is a supplemental um, to help demonstrate that you can do those things. Right. So I think that's a, it's just a, it seems really small, but it's a big mental shift. That's going to really help you kind of understand more as you're going through the process of how to position yourself. Um, that happened to me quite a bit when I was coming from consulting and with my business background, I would go into interviews and talk about that a lot. And people were like, that's really great. You've done a lot of stuff. Like, but then I realized they were like asking me these questions about design. And I was like, but I thought I said that. And then I was like, (laughs) wait, maybe they didn't get that because it was the language that I was using or the fact that I was leading with like very businessy kind of terminologies Mm -hmm. or things that product managers do. So then I started shifting the way that I talked about myself and it started to click a lot more with the interviews. Um, That's really great. So same thing goes for the resume, right? So for this person who has the retail stuff, if they, I wouldn't lead with that in their experience, you can definitely have it in the experience. Um, But if there's anything that she's done with UX, I'd start with that. And then Mm -hmm. again, crafting her retail experience at Whole Foods to kind of like talk about very customer centric things um, so that it kind of balances out the fact that she has some of those behaviors for a UX designer. Okay. All right. Last question I have about writing a great resume obviously revolves around the bullet point. So how do you craft a really great bullet point in a resume? Like, uh, you know, action, outcome, outcome, action. Is there, is there some format that when you read, you're like, that's like really impactful, really insightful. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think when it comes to the, the resume and the bullet points, there's a couple of things that I'm also looking for. Like if you're off all your bullet points were just action and outcome, 
I, and it's like an obscure company or like, you know, something that I, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand what you actually did, but I know what you outputted, like that's not successful. So mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to have a little bit of a balance. So usually when I think about writing like my resume, I would start with like, maybe like uh, the first bullet point would be a little bit more of a high level description of the role and the yeah. type of work that I was doing. So like when I was coming from Deloitte, I would say like, I would work with um, you know, several Fortune 500 companies in the retail financial sector um, and high tech space, like doing end to end product implementations. That was my first bullet point, just so that people understood like what my job was. And then after right. that, I would start talking about the action and the outcomes. So okay. when I came to action and outcomes, I would think about it from like a process standpoint, like what are the key things that I would do in my job? So there's maybe a lot of stuff with research and kind of like developing strategy. Then there's the actual implementation part and how like, you know, I'm working with engineering and um, partnering with them through that. And then then there's the there might be stuff in between or extracurriculars that are like that are supplemental to those experiences. So then I would position those bullet points that way. And then I would start with the bullet points as more of like describing the actions that you took and then having some sort of outcome. So whether it's a metric where you're like, you know, this project helped increase like 50% of signups, whatever they may be, or it could be like, even um, I interviewed like 10 different customers to uh, develop a journey, like some way of quantifying that action can be very Mm -hmm. helpful, but don't push it if you don't have it. Um, Um, Okay. So, so lead off with the description of what you did, action outcomes or action, whatever, and then maybe like a final outcome of all those things, some some deli- something you delivered, some benefit that you brought, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I would say some, something in that order. Because again, when you're reading the paragraph, like people read top down, left to right, so yeah. they need to be somewhat sequential and kind of help me comprehend like the journey of your your experience yeah. in the resume. If it's like all over the place, then it like it creates a little bit of confusion again for that person. Okay. So relating to bullet points, if you've got a lot of experience, perhaps, um, and you've worked in the industry for a long time, you've maybe got like, I don't know, six or seven jobs. You want to put mm-hmm. that you worked at these places so that we show that you have some history of, of uh, employment, but maybe you don't put the bullet points there anymore if it was like 10 years ago or something. Is that something that you would advise to do? Or what, what are your thoughts there? If you got a lot of experience, you're trying to fit it all on a page. Is it okay to leave some action items off if it was like 10 years ago or something? Or what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on? yeah, definitely. Especially if you're trying to get it to a page. Um, that's where I would like, you know, maybe you just put a, like one sentence that's like mm-hmm. a description of what you did and then like, you know, your title and how long you're at the company. And that that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if that experience is so far removed to where you are today and where you want to go with your career, I wouldn't waste that extra space to fill yeah. that kind of stuff out. Um, okay. Again, that's where the LinkedIn profile can be supplemental. Sure, you can yeah, put as yeah, much yeah. as you want there if you want it. So, yeah. cool. All right. Well, let's talk about LinkedIn then. So you're 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 work at LinkedIn, and you probably know the ins and outs of LinkedIn better than most people. <laughs> um, how do you use LinkedIn successfully when you're doing a job hunting like this? You you know you, obviously you pull your data from the resume. I assume most of the time you put it in the the experience. Are, is there some technique from your perspective that you might want to try, like to use LinkedIn as a supplement to these other things? Or what do you, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, definitely. So with LinkedIn, um, your profile completion is actually like really important. So I would start from like the top down, right? Like, you know, when it comes to like the, um, the top card, which is where your face is and your description, Mm -hmm. um, 
like that shows up in a lot of different places. It shows up in search when you're messaging people, that's the first thing that it sees. So use that as an opportunity to like, you know, have a little like punchline tagline of something that you want to do. So don't just write like UX designer. Like mm-hmm. if you have like these wonderful backgrounds, you could be like UX designer with like, you know, experience working with um, in retail or something like that with customers, maybe not that lengthy, but yeah. you know, it's an opportunity to showcase that, um, extra stuff that you might have there. Then the other thing is when you, um, go into your LinkedIn profile, I would also say cross-referencing as many links as possible. So there okay. is a contact information section and there is an about, um, and there's your experience, but you know, with your portfolio, when I tell people don't just put your portfolio link in contact and hope that people find it, try to put it in as many places as possible. Mm -hmm. And like when it gets to your experience, like if it's a case study that ties to that experience, you can actually link the um, particular case study URL in there. And then there's also like a feature to section underneath your about section too, where you can add a bunch of different links to your portfolio, maybe articles that have been written about you or you've written. So you should highlight all these things to make it like a living, breathing artifact of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and all of that is also partially to help with like search engine optimization. There's like search engines on LinkedIn and then also these things get crawled on Google. So if people are looking you up that way, you want to be discovered for as many of your works as possible. Um, so that's really important to, to highlight. And then the last thing I would leave with the LinkedIn profile is that people, um, sometimes neglect the skills section, but I actually think that's really important because the skills is you can add up to 50 keywords there. And I tell people to like, you know, beef that up as much as possible because again, they're like SEO tags and like, you know, people, recruiters who might be paying to use LinkedIn, they have a tool where they can actually search people by skills, location, like all the different facets that you have on your LinkedIn profile. So again, the more you fill these out and the more complete it is, the higher chances you have with being discovered across the platform. So, you know, I'm curious about LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a social network, social media, right? A lot of people um, kind of, especially maybe younger people, they just see it as sort of a technicality. I have to have it. Um, They don't post to it a lot. So I'm curious, activity on LinkedIn, is that something managers are looking at? You know, are you posting things? Are you, you know, is that something that people really care about or does it not matter at all? Well, so I would say... It's a little less so for me as like a hiring manager that I would be like looking for people to see what they're posting about and their their ways of thinking. Um, I mean, it does get showcased on your profile when you do have that type of activity. So it helps, mm-hmm. but it's not like I'm like, you know, explicitly trying to seek that information out there. I think where posting can really help you more is uh, more on just kind of like getting yourself known and mm-hmm. putting yourself out there. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, because, you know, LinkedIn like is a social network, like just like Instagram, Facebook is, but there's a virality effect to it, mm-hmm. right? So if you are looking for a job and you want to put your portfolio out there, why not post it? Why not say like, show the things that you're doing? Because yeah. if you use the right hashtags, you're at mentioning the right types of folks, you know, including people into the conversation of your post, that's how you're going to get noticed more. There's like a network effect on LinkedIn, with, with like a lot of other social media platforms. Sure. But if somebody likes it, reshares it or comments it, and I'm not connected to that person, it will show up on my feed if they are a second degree connection. So oh, okay. you might as wow. well put yourself out there yeah. because then it's like it could 
like I've actually seen portfolios that way where I didn't even know this person, but I saw the post and a lot of oh, people wow. had okay. like commented on it. So I was like, okay, let me click into it. It's like, oh, this kid That's is awesome. actually really talented. Let me refer yeah. him to LinkedIn and, and have a conversation that way. So I think it's just more from a networking perspective that it's really good to help you get yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned this in the last episode, uh, but one of the things I do when I get a new book or I listen to a new podcast is I'll find the author on LinkedIn send them a note and a connection request. Hey, you know, and, and always leave a note, never just a connection request on its own, but yeah. hey, I've, I'm reading your book. I really love your book. I can't wait to connect and learn more, you know, and sometimes they'll reply. Most of the time they don't, but uh, it might be a sentence, you know, but but that kind of thing is just a really great way to use LinkedIn um, to, again, you never know who's hiring. You never know who is going to have a job opening and just getting yourself out there on LinkedIn. Like you said, you might not even need the portfolio or the resume if you find the right person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is uh, this is really good tip. So, so I love it. Um, a lot of awesome stuff here. Portfolio, visual, regardless of if you're a designer or not, uh, find a friend check out some of those guidelines and make it look pretty. Um, use a template if you can, if you think that works. We talked about uh, the, the, the uh, description in uh, your resume, lead off with the description of the work and then the bullets and then all that stuff, summarize it, one page, stick to the normal fonts, don't get too crazy, don't get, don't be overly visual. You know, there was one thing I actually meant to ask you, I totally forgot. This yeah. is probably, uh, back, talking about resumes, this is probably because it looks pretty and it's probably on a bunch of templates that you can download, but these scales, like one out of 10 or like a circle graph or something, <laughs> it's like visual design and like somebody puts like five out of 10, you're hiring, you're hiring them for a visual designer. What is the point of those? Do you think those are silly? I'm curious. I'm biased, yeah. but I'm, I'm curious what you think. Honest, honestly, I don't think they're useful. Like, Ditch them. Delete yeah, them. exactly. I, I, because, look, if you're saying you know Figma and you're a, an 8 out of 10 in Figma, like, what's the difference between right. an 8 out of 10 versus yeah. a 9 out of 10 candidate? Like, I don't really know what that means. And yeah. then you'd also, like, nobody's going to rate themselves lower. No one's yeah. going to say, <laughs> like, I'm like a, a two, 2 out of 10. Out of 10. I'm a yeah. 2, yeah, you know, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Can you look past it's that? Like, <laughs> do you mind exactly. just looking past that? <laughs> exactly. So everyone's going to boost themselves superficially. Of so it's, it's like, it has, yeah, exactly. So it has no, I don't think it's a good use of space. And then also yeah. going to the ATS systems, it's not going to pick it up like yeah, the graphics the again. So yeah. So don't include it. Don't even bother. All right. I love that. Good. I'm glad you said that. I was hoping you'd say that. I've always told people to delete those. They look stupid. Uh, well, it yeah. looks nice, but they, they don't function. It makes it makes you look silly. Um, all right, cool. So yeah. uh, so those are awesome. Use LinkedIn as like a supplement. Fill out all those old jobs, all those things that you did, uh, you know, volunteer, all that stuff, old jobs that, that might not apply to current stuff, just so we could see what you did and all that stuff. Use that network, find people, like stuff, you know, all that. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So we've got this little game that we like to play with our guests. We call it this or that. Sure. You down? Okay. You do it? All right. So this is just a way yeah, for our, our listeners to get to know our guests a little bit more. You know, do, does Christine like this or does she like that? You know? Um, all right. So we're going to set a timer for about two minutes and um, we'll uh, we'll just go from there. All right. Start off simple, then we get more complex. Dog or cool. cat? Dog. All right. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Okay. Phone call or text? Text. Okay. When you're eating ice cream, cone or a cup? Cone. All right. Most designers, I know the answer to this, but Mac or PC? <laughs> Mac. <laughs> All right. iPhone or Android? I probably know that one too. iPhone, yeah. All right. When you're flying, aisle or a window seat? 
window always. <laughs> window. See, I'm the I'm like on the aisle. I'm like, get me off this plane as fast as possible. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, form or function? Function. All right. Uh, yeah. When you're sketching, uh, plain paper or dot graphs? I like plain paper. Yeah. All right. When you're sketching, pen or a pencil? Pencil. All right. High tech or low tech? High tech. All right. Big party or small gathering? I'm an extrovert, so big party. <laughs> All right, right on. All right, this one's important for Derek and myself. Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a hard one because I like both the babies, but I would say Star Wars is probably Star like Wars. a classic. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? The wrong answer, but that's okay. We won't judge you. All right. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. All right. This one's really important. Love or money? Love. It should be. Love. Yeah. All right. I cool. Just really important but it's like at the end of the day yeah it's, it's all about love and who you have that yeah there you so. go all right you'd be surprised how many people pause and then answer <laughs> love like what's the right answer here uh i'm gonna look really bad if i say money uh, uh love i guess i don't know yeah. all right uh last one this one's really important uh toilet paper over or under over for me. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank you. We, we, uh, we had one person say under and I was like, you monster. All right. That's it. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for playing. Uh, that was just a way for like, again, our guests just to get to know you a little bit better. Now we know star Wars. That's okay. You know, again, we won't hold it against you, but, um, cool. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us today. Christine is really awesome to have you. Uh, make sure everyone out there, check us out. Retrotimepodcast.com. Uh, get yourself some stickers, retrotimepodcast.com slash stickers. Uh, put them on your work laptop, put them on your personal laptop, buy one for your pod, give them to everybody that you work with. Um, if you're if you're getting something out of this series, the Deep Dive Get Hired series, please share it with your friends and, and everyone on LinkedIn. Uh, share it on your work Slack channel and let everybody know how much you're, uh, how much you're getting out of uh, Retro Time Podcast. We would really appreciate that. And uh, make sure you like and subscribe and you'll get those updates whenever we release them. So that's it. Until next time, everybody. Uh, where we're going to be talking to Christine Yen. You know what, Christine? I didn't actually ask you how to pronounce your last name. It's okay. It's Yoon. Yoon. Okay, cool. I'll start, yeah. I'll start back over. Okay, cool.